Well, good morning. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to uh, Psalm 49. That will be our text for this morning. If you are visiting with us, again, we are glad that you're here and we consider it a great privilege uh, to have you with us this morning. And you'll want to know that we are now nearing the end of our series that we've been doing this summer called Selah. It's been a journey through the Psalms, through a variety of different Psalms. And our next Psalm, the Psalm that we'll be looking at this morning is Psalm 49. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we encourage you to utilize the Bible that's in front of you and the pew back in front of you. You can find this reading on page 456, or you can, of course, search for it on any mobile device, the mobile device of your choice. We'd love for you to join us. Uh, this, it's almost near the, begin, the middle of the Bible. There's the Old Testament, New Testament, and the Psalms are right in the middle of the Old Testament there. Psalm 49. We're glad that you're with us. Before I read the psalm, you know, I, I, I want to, I was reminded of a song, a song that's actually been out now for a couple of years, and as I was studying and as I was been thinking about this particular psalm, this song just kept coming into my head and into my mind. It could be just a, a sign of my own depravity, um, I don't know, but, he, but the song, it's called, uh, the name of the song is called Buy Me a Boat. Uh, you may or may not be familiar with it. I think it's a clever song. Um, and, and so I thought I would share it with you, and I, I think uh, you'll, 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 you'll follow my logic. Um, if not, then just give me grace. Uh, so, um, so he says, here's, here's how the, the lyric of the song goes, I ain't rich, but I want to be. Working like a dog all day ain't working for me. I wish I had a rich uncle that kicked the bucket, and I was sitting on a pile like Warren Buffett. I know everybody says money can't buy happiness, but it can buy me a boat right? And it can buy me a truck to pull it, right? So, so, this, so this is his logic. This is how it goes. And the song continues because why not? Um, he says, they call me redneck, white trash, and blue collar. I could change all that if I had a couple million dollars. I keep hearing that money is the root of all evil and you can't fit a camel through the eye of a needle. I'm sure that's probably true, but it still sounds pretty cool because it can buy me a boat. Right, and it can buy me a truck to pull it. Right, so that's and so the song song goes on. I won't I won't torture you any longer. But I, I wonder this morning if, when it comes to um, the scriptures teaching on money and wealth that we are surrounded with, if we're not similar to the writer and the author of this song, where I, I was drawn to this particular song. Did you notice he's actually using biblical references out of context and not correctly, right? The scriptures do say that the money is the root of all kinds of evil, not the root of all evil. And Jesus does talk about the rich getting into the kingdom of God. And it's hard, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And so these, he's, he's referencing biblical stuff, right, in this song. And Yet I wonder if we say in our, if some of us this morning, if many of us as Christian people are going to go, yes, I understand what the Bible has to say about money. I understand what the Bible has to say about wealth. And yet, boy, would it be cool. Like, man. And we kind of come into our minds and kind of think, man, if I were actually to win the lottery, what would I do with that? Wouldn't that be cool? God, just try it out on me. I just think I might be able to be faithful with wealth. I think I could. Just, just give me a shot at it, you know? We come to Psalm 49, and Psalm 49 actually reads more like a proverb than it does like a psalm. It's a, it's a wisdom psalm. The, the author of the psalm is trying to give you and me guidance and understanding. Look at these first four verses. Here, 
this, all you peoples. Listen, all who live in this world, both the low and the high, the rich and the poor alike, my mouth will speak words of wisdom. The meditation of my heart will give you understanding. I will turn my ear to a proverb, and with the harp I will expound my riddle. Listen, all you people, this is for everyone. Whether, you're, whether you have uh, barely enough means to make it, or whether you have overflowing resources, the low and the high, this is for all of you. And I want to give you wisdom on how you can make your way through this world of wealth. We all need wisdom for how we can make sense of what we see that is around us. We all need wisdom and we all, every single one of us wrestles with the materialism that we see in our world. Every single one of us wrestle with this. And so the psalm, the psalmist thrust is to give you understanding. Let me, let us, let us turn our attention then to this psalm, Psalm 49. The first thing we need to understand that the psalmist points our attention to is this. If we are going to have understanding in the world of wealth, then we, we need to recognize that we don't fear the wealthy. We don't fear the wealthy. Look in verse 5. Why should I fear when evil days come, when wicked deceivers surround me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of their great riches? No one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for them. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough so that they should live on forever and not see decay. For all can see that the wise die and the foolish and the senseless also perish, leaving their wealth to others. So the writer, the psalmist, asks himself a question. And he, the question is simply this. What? Why is it that I fear the people who are around me who have more wealth than I do? Why, when I'm in the presence of people who have more stuff, more materialism, more, more wealth than I do, that I feel intimidated, that I feel fearful? Why do I feel this way? Why am I filled with this angst when I'm around those who have more than I do? Have you ever experienced this? Has this ever been your... It has been with mine multiple times. Many times I've experienced this. I, one vivid time I remember, I play a bit of golf. I'm not a great golfer, but I love the game, and I've played in a whole variety of different golf courses and places. But I remember one time I was invited to participate in a golf outing that was in one of the nicest country clubs in Northeast Ohio, which is where I was living at the time. And the name, the name of the golf club was Country Club. If that gives you any indication, there's no other need to describe it. You, you've arrived at Country Club, you know, and there it was. And at the time, I was driving this, um, this horrible car. It was a Saturn three-door sports coupe, you know, and I'm a big guy. It's a small car, bad combination, right? So, and then it had this third door, right? So it had the two doors and then this third door that opened. Terrible, terrible thing, this car. But I was driving it. And so I was driving this to the golf club, and there's just, you know, there's this long driveway that you come in, and there's these beautiful trees with the flowers. It was just a fabulous thing. And the further I drive into this, and then all of a sudden, there's the clubhouse. And it's like, oh, you've arrived, right? At, at the clubhouse. And so there you have to, you're supposed to go to the backdrop. I'm like, mm -mm, I'm not going over there. I'm going to the parking lot. I go to the parking lot, and there's all these luxury vehicles and me and my Saturn sports coupe. And I'm like, mm, you know, that the sports coupe makes it sound way more luxurious than the car actually was. Um, and I remember getting my clubs out and I'm kind of making my way into this and you walk inside and there's just, there's like mahogany everywhere and it, and it was a fabulous place and we had a fabulous time at the golf ad and everything went fine. But I can't, can you tell how, how small I felt? 
of how I didn't belong there. Like, there's people who belong here who have resources. I, 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 I don't. I, I don't know that I had enough to tip the bad guy if I had to, right, at that moment. Just that feeling of being around people who have more wealth and feeling small. Why do we feel this way? Because many who have money look at people who don't have as much as they do and they look down on those folks. And many of us, when we're in the presence of other people who have less resources than us, we wouldn't say it, but we really think we've arrived and done something better than they have. That somehow we've achieved and that they haven't. And somehow we have found comfort and security and control and power that they haven't found yet. Because that's what money promises. That's what materialism promises in our culture. That if I can achieve these things, then I achieve security and comfort and control and power. And the psalmist asks, why do I fear? Why do I feel fear when I'm around those who have more? We should not fear those who have wealth, he says. Why? Verse 7, because no one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for them. The ransom of a life is costly. No payment is ever enough so that they should live on forever and not see decay. For all can see that the wise die and that the foolish and the senseless also perish, leaving their wealth to others. There's no amount of money that can buy someone eternal life. There's no amount of money that anyone can have, no matter how much or little money they have, that can actually stave off death is what he says. You can't do it. Whether you're wise whether you're foolish, whether you're senseless, we all have one thing in common, and that all of us recognize that death is coming. We're headed in that direction. Verse 11, he says, the tombs will remain their houses forever, their dwelling for endless generations, though they had named lands and after themselves. The wealthy have a mansion. Maybe the wealthy have many mansions, many mansions upon mansions, but the mansions will not be their homes. The grave will be their home. They, they may have named many things. They named lands after themselves, he says, because that's what rich people do, people of wealth do. That's why when you go on college campuses, you see these buildings that have the names of prestigious, prestigious people who have given their resources to this particular university, and they have their names plastered on the buildings. Or you go to a hospital, and it has someone's name on, on the hospital. Or you go, and someone has their name attached to an invention that they have done and created resources and wealth for themselves. They may have their name on all types of things. But, verse 12, people, despite their wealth, do not endure. They are like the beasts that perish. People do not endure. They're all headed in the same direction. Every single one of us. In order to navigate, in order to have wisdom in a world of wealth, then we need to remember, according to the psalmist, we need to remember that no matter how much money a person has, no matter how many things they have, no matter how much stuff they have, they are people. They're just like you. They're just like me. And they're headed to the exact same destination that all of us have. Now, you may arrive there in your broken down Volkswagen. That's fine. Or they may arrive in their, one of their 20 Bentleys. But the bottom line is we all arrive at the same place. If you are going to navigate through this world, this world of wealth, then the psalmist gives us wisdom and says, first, you need to understand, don't fear the wealthy. 
because their direction is the same direction as you. We're all people, and no people endure. But he continues. He says, not only are we to, he says, we don't fear the wealthy. Secondly, he says, we don't follow the wealthy. We don't follow the wealthy, verse 13. This is the fate of those who trust in themselves and of their followers who approve of their sayings. They are like sheep and are destined to die. Death will be their shepherd, but the upright will prevail over them in the morning. Their forms will see decay in the grave, far from their princely mansions. Death is the fate of those who trust in themselves and trust in the, 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 the wealth that they have been able to generate. This is, this is their future. If they trust in themselves and trust in their, in their own ability to generate wealth, and it is also the future of those who follow them and listen to their sayings, he says. That's what he says. Why? Well, it's simple. We listen to those who have wealth because we say, look at all of the money they've made. Look at all of the success that they've had. Apparently, they've done something right. So it's probably right for us to listen to them because they've achieved far more than we've ever achieved. And so therefore, let's get the best practices. Let's look at their stuff. Let's think these principles out because obviously they have arrived. They've figured something out that I haven't figured out. And so we follow them and we do. We follow Oprah and we listen to Paul and we follow Paula Dean and Jim Collins and Andy Stanley and Steph Curry. And apparently somebody's still keeping up with the Kardashians because they're still on TV. I don't, I don't know who that person is, but maybe that's you. We follow them. And we buy their recipes and we buy their clothes and we buy their shoes because they tell us to. And we read their books and we read their blogs and we follow them on Twitter and we follow them on Facebook. And then they say something really deep and insightful. And then we retweet or repost something that they've said. And then we get a whole bunch of likes and retweets for us. And then we feel good because somebody's retweeting our stuff and we're getting a bunch of likes. And so we do it more because we're retweeting and sending out all of the things that the wise and wealthy of our world are putting out there. We're following right along. And we follow them because somehow they've achieved success and power and money and influence and comfort and glory. And quite frankly, I wouldn't mind if a little bit rubbed off on me. The psalmist says, be careful. Be careful. Eugene Peterson, a pastor and author, says this. The American self characteristically chooses advertisers instead of apostles as guides. The American self characteristically chooses advertisers over apostles as guides. So this morning, who is the loudest voice in your life? Who is the most influential voices in your head and in your lives? Who is the most formative voice when talking to you about how you ought to run your business or how you ought to lead your organization? Who is the loudest voice on how your children, how your family ought to look and how you ought to navigate and how what your, what your children should look like and what they should be wearing when they arrive back at school? Who drives your thinking when investing your money? Are you allowing those who live for wealth and trust in themselves to be your primary counselors? Where does your wisdom come from? 
Are we allowing those, are we following those who live for wealth and trust in themselves to, be the, to take up the prime real estate in our thought space and in our hearts and in our lives? And the psalmist says, if so, then be careful because they're leading towards death. That's where the direction they're going. And that's, that's where those who follow them will go. That's where it leads if you pursue worldly wealth and trust in it. He says, be careful. In order to have wisdom in the world of wealth, don't fear the wealthy. Don't fu- not, it's not that there aren't good common best practices that are out there. You understand that. It's not that you can't learn. We can learn from all lots of things. God's common grace has been spread on this whole world. But when it's the primary thing for which it drives you, then be careful, he says. Don't follow the wealthy. Thirdly, he says, don't be overawed by the wealthy. Don't be overawed by the wealthy. Verse 16. Don't be overawed when others grow rich, when the splendor of their houses increases, for they will take nothing with them when they die. Their splendor will not descend with them. Though while they live, they count themselves blessed, and people praise you when you prosper. They will join those who have gone before them, who will never see the light of life. Don't be overawed when other people grow rich. Don't be overawed when they get new houses. Don't be overawed when your friends tell you they just bought a cabin and there's a boat with it on a beautiful lake. Don't be overawed by these things. Don't envy them. Don't become jealous. But it's hard, isn't it? <laughs> it's so hard. It's maybe, maybe it's not for you. It is for me. Why? I, because, I'll tell you why. Because I've been thinking about it. Because I knew I was going to have to talk to you about it. Here's why. Because I know what I want. I want a low-maintenance, hassle-free designer life. That's what I want. Just so you know. Just in case you wanted to know what it is I desire. It's a low-maintenance, hassle-free designer life. I, I don't want to have to work too hard. I want, I want things to go smoothly, low-maintenance. I want it to be hassle-free, so just back up off me, right? And, and I want it to look good. I want to be able to design my life the way that I want to live my life. And that's what I want. That's what I want. Maybe you do too. And when I see someone who seems to be living the low-maintenance, hassle-free designer life better than I am because... I'm having to do a lot of maintenance and there's a lot of hassles because I have kids. Um, I love my kids. Then I want their life. When I see someone who seems to be achieving, doing better, then I want to be those people. I want their lives because here's how it works. We get to a point where we say, well, I'm actually actually making money. And when you make money, then you think you can hang out with other people who make money. And so you do, right? And then so you get into those places with other people who are making money. And then you realize once you get into those places that those people are making way more money than you, right? And you go, oh, uh, they're making money, all right? And then you go, oh, okay. And so when we think about it this way, we say, well, I want to just, I want, we think about the, our desired community that we would love to live in. And so we work really hard to be able to live into the, get into that community. And once you actually break into the community that you wanted to live in, because, of course, you want to live in a suburb of the Twin Cities. And when you break into the community, you realize, oh, 
it's not enough just to live in the community. I need to be in these particular neighborhoods because that's where the up-and-coming people are. That's where things happen. I mean, we say it in things like, well, that's where we want our kids to be around other young kids. And we want. So we go, and we finally work our way to the point where we can move into the neighborhood where all the people are that we want to be able to hang out with. And then we realize we're able to send our kids to the schools that those people's kids, kids go to. And we're able to socialize with the people that, that they're socializing with. And we interact with the people in our neighborhood and we feeling pretty good until we realize that those people are taking vacations we're not taking. Those people are buying things that we're not buying. Those people have more money than we do. And we start to look at them because we don't compare ourselves. We compare ourselves to our neighbors. We compare ourselves to Pottery Barn magazines. We compare ourselves to every, what everybody else on Facebook is doing and we look at our lives. We don't compare ourselves to the rest of the world. You're not comparing yourselves to children in Africa. We're comparing ourselves to people who lived one street over from us. And we, that's, the, that, that's how we navigate through this. And we say, that's what I want. The psalmist says, don't be overawed by them when they have success, when they get a raise, when they get a promotion, when they're able to buy the things that we wish we could buy, we think are really nice, that sometimes we don't even tell our spouse about, but we look up online just because it would be nice someday. Don't be overawed because even though people give them praise and even though they get the applause of your colleagues at work and even though right now they're getting all the applause, they will follow in the footsteps of those who have gone before them and their destination is exactly the same. It is death. Everything is temporary. All worldly wealth is temporary. Wisdom in a world of wealth requires that we don't fear the wealthy, that we don't follow the wealthy, that we're not overawed by the wealthy. Why? Because all of this worldly wealth is temporary. All of it is vanity. What do we need? What do we need in order to navigate through this, this wealthy world? We need understanding of lasting wealth. That's what you need this morning. That's what I need. That's what the psalmist's primary point is. I want to give you understanding. Verse three, my mouth will speak words of wisdom. The meditation of my heart will give you what? Understanding. We must understand what material wealth is, the material wealth of this world. We have to understand what it is. We must understand how, how to process all of the glitz and glamour that we see all around us all the time. We must understand this. We must understand that where this world, pursuing this worldly wealth, wealth, where it actually ultimately leads. We must understand these things. We have to have understanding. Verse 20, people who have wealth but lack understanding are like beasts that perish. There's nothing wrong with wealth. That's not his point. If you walk out of here saying, well, God doesn't want us to have wealth, then you're wrong. You're, you're not understanding what he's saying. He's saying there's nothing wrong with having wealth, but there's everything wrong with trusting in wealth for your significance, for your value, for your self-worth, and for your future. There's everything wrong with trusting in wealth. Material, worldly wealth leads to death. It is all vanity. But here's the key, verse 15. But God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He will surely take me to himself. But God will redeem me. 
Redeem means to buy or to pay off or to clear by payment. There is one that can actually keep you from the future that all of the, where worldly wealth leads. And it is God. And it is only God who can actually redeem and actually restore and actually save. It is, it is only God. God who is the creator of all things. God who sent his son Jesus to do what? To redeem you, to redeem us. Jesus left the riches of heaven and he came and he took on the form of a human. And he, and he lived the life of a penniless servant. And he offered himself up for death on the cross. Why? So that you could buy a boat and a truck to pull it? No. So that you could be redeemed and that you might not follow in the path where worldly wealth leads. He says, this is where the, all of those, that's where it's all going. But I came and I gave up the wealth of heaven and I took on the form of human flesh for you in order that you might be able to be redeemed so that you can have a different future. So that you can, instead of having one that is temporary and one that goes to the grave, can actually spend eternity with me. One that endures, one that continues. There is a different future that is available. There is a wealth that actually lasts. And then he says, Jesus came to do what? the psalmist says, he will take me to himself. And this is so huge. We, we must, if we are going to navigate through this world of wealth, we need to have this etched into our very souls. We must understand this, that God, the giver of all wealth, the creator of all things, God sent his son to buy you, to redeem you, to pay at a cost. Why? So that you can be with him. So that he did it for you because he wanted to be with you. He wanted to spend eternity with you. He did it for us. Jesus, if you remember, before he ascended and went into heaven, he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I'm going to prepare a place, will I not return and take you to be with me? What kind of place is he preparing for you? An outhouse? No. He, he left the riches of heaven in order that he might be able to gather a people to himself and he is going to come and there will be the new heavens and there will be the new earth and there will be a celebration and there will be a feast and you are invited to come to the table. You are invited to come to the feast and it's when we experience this, when we allow the true and lasting glorious riches of almighty God through Christ to actually be able to fill our hearts and fill our minds then we will not follow the wealth of our world. Then we will have the wisdom and understanding to be able to navigate our way through this world. Then and only then, when we fill our heart's imagination and our mind's imagination with Christ and Christ alone, when we come to the table and when we are reminded that one day this is just a foretaste, this is an appetizer of what will one day be, then we will begin to have the understanding that the psalmist so desperately longs for us to have that we won't be off track. Well, there's a writer, her name is Laura Ferguson. I came across something that she posted this week and I thought I would share it with you in closing. This is what she says. Hey friend, who doesn't have the kitchen of her dreams, who's been slogging it away in rental, pasting image, images of someday in the Pinterest board called someday. You who scrolls through Instagram, double-tapping photos of your friend's babies while your room grows emptier and drier every day. You who sits alone at weddings because all your friends you used to go to weddings with are sitting with their significant others now. 
You who follow the feeds of artists and designers and decorators. You who listens to teachers and speakers and writers and thinks and wonders if words like that could ever come from you. You who scale mountains in your mind because you live in a concrete jungle or who sip lattes in a small town coffee shops trying to taste what success must feel like. You who sees the spouses of your friends and foes, yes, them too, and wonder what could possibly be wrong with you. You who subscribes to the lists and the feeds and the videos of meal planners and handstanders and thigh gap makers and wardrobe capsulers and minimalists and crossfitters and hippies and pacifists and capitalists and theologists. All of you listen up. One day, not too far off, we pray. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Kitchens will fall apart and spouses will drop the hands of their beloveds and all the children of the world will gather and tight bods will fall down and smart tongues will one day have only one confession and cities will be raised up and cattle on a thousand mountains will be turned towards him and there will be one wedding to attend to forevermore and we will all go together. No one alone and yet every one of us alone, kneeling, bowing, confessing that he is Lord. Nothing compares to him. All this earth is, is our feeble attempt to compare to him, but nothing does. So rest in that today, friends. Nothing compares. Nothing. It is the best news any of us could ever hear every day. It is the best news any of us could ever hear any day. Nothing compares nothing. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for when we think that the riches of this world could compare with the heavenly riches that are are ours in Christ. Forgive us for when we forget and when we cry and when our tears wet our pillows because of the stress, because of what we don't have, what we think somehow we deserve. Remind us again that nothing compares to Christ and to Christ alone. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.